Sanitarium. We are talking about the MGM Plus series from Season 1, Episode 7. This one's entitled All Good Things. Fatima shows Julie her secret stash of clothes. She has a sweater that Trudy loves to steal, so she hides it one, uh, since it's also Ellis's favorite on her. Julie says that Fatima makes this place feel special. Ellis asks if anyone is up for pre-gaming, and they are going to have a party and Alice is already drunk. Alice decides to search for Victor after he gets turned down, and Fatima says that nights like this, where they celebrate people who have made it a year, is a chance for them to celebrate it, but it's also a night to mourn those who have died along the way. So Alice takes this a little hard, considering that his mother is one of those people that didn't make it. Ellis finds Victor and says he has been here for so long, he should be excited to pregame it, and Victor asks him to leave him alone. Donna calls out for Ellis and declines a drink from him as well. Victor asks where the peaches have all gone, and Donna says they are out. Victor says that the one thing that's never changed in this place is that they always had a weekly ghost delivery of peaches, and now that that has changed, that's troubling. We, again, don't really know where some of these items come from. We don't know where they show up. It sounds like they just kind of appear in the pantry, maybe. But, I don't know, maybe we'll get more on it, but I don't think it's really that important. We see Kevin, the guy who, you know, wants to get it on with the creature, puts out another bouquet of flowers for Monster Girl. Boy is doing his dusk walk to alert everyone that it's almost night. Katri has the bag he buried while sitting on the porch of the police station. Tabitha's reading to Ethan, and Kenny arrives and walks in on Jade, who is drawing on a book that Kenny was reading. He gets annoyed and grabs the book. Jade asks if he's supposed to write on the walls like a psychopath because there's no other paper there. He should probably talk to Victor. He's got a lot. Boyd returns to the police station, and Father Katri says it needs to talk to him. And Katri asks about Boyd's bags being packed, but he kind of brushes it off. Jim is drawing up a radio tower idea, and Tabitha comes by to check on him. Jim says that she violated child labor laws, and they both agree that they are scared whenever they cannot see Ethan near them. Jim says the windows are nailed shut and the doors are locked, so he is safe there. Jim says that Donna may be a bit much, but she is not stupid and will keep truly safe. Tabitha asks about his plan, and Jim says as long as he can use all of the materials they have on, on hand there, he has just enough for everyone to hate him once this fails. Tabitha says, hey, you know, you got a signal. And he says, well, I got static. And she says, hey, static is something. And they have a hole in the basement to fall back on. And he responds, they have a hole in the basement to fall into. 
Considering that we know these two were heading straight for divorce because of the death of their child, the fact that they are able to have this chemistry with each other, are able to have kind of a back and forth and joke around, is a good sign that they are at least on better terms at this point. They definitely haven't confronted or worked on their problems yet, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Alice is stumbling around drunk, and Fatima asks him to slow down. Donna calls everyone around, because they are here to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Fatima arriving. Donna gives a speech about how great Fatima is, and someone mentions that they love her for her weed. Donna gives Fatima a dream catcher. They hug, and the party resumes. A female then walks up and kisses Fatima. Julie doesn't look happy, and she walks away. Boyd finishes telling Katri his plan. Katri says he buried this bag. And Boyd looks through it, and he finds booze, and jokes about it, and then he pulls out a shirt. He asks if this is Katri's, and he says, I mean the blood, not the shirt. He then grabs a candy bar and gets upset and chucks it, and asks what the fuck is going on. Katri says that they didn't really discuss who they used to be. He says there was a young boy in his congregation who was quiet and sensitive. One day, he found the boy hanging around the church. Katri then takes a drink of the booze and continues. The boy was upset and asked to stay but Katri had to send him home so he could prepare for the evening mass. Katri took a candy bar from his office and gave it to the boy and sent him on his way. Later, he went to by the house to check on things. The mother came running out in tears, and Katri walked in and found the drunk father standing over the body of the little boy. The boy had broken his neck thanks to his dad. The father told him that the kid would be fine. Katri then attacked the dad and beat him until he was dead. The blood in his shirt is the father's. He grabbed the candy bar from the boy since he felt responsible. He was supposed to keep the kid safe, but all he could give him was a candy bar. He went to the bridge, and finally he felt that he heard the voice of God, and was telling him there's another path. He got back in his car, drove for two hours, found the tree, and wound up in the town. Boyd asks why Katri is telling him all of this now, and Katri responds that he has Sarah tied up in the basement of the church. Boyd pulls his gun on Katri, and he says that Katri made him punish Frank, but for some reason is keeping Sarah alive. Katri says that Sarah may be the way that they all get home. There's a lot to unpack there, because Katri is, uh, so far what we've seen, the one person who probably doesn't want to leave, because while it is scary to have you know, all those creatures out there, He's not going to be arrested for murder. And it's going to be hard to claim self-defense when you walked in on a guy murdering somebody, and then, or that not murdering somebody, already murdered somebody, and then you murdered that person too. So it seems like Katri would be more inclined to stay there. He's got a congregation, he's got people he can protect and help, and he doesn't have to worry about any of the police taking him down. Kevin opens the window blinds to see the girl monster who calls herself Jasmine. So they either really have names, or the creature just made this up to trick Kevin. Which, considering how long they've been there, I would say that they're, it's possibly the way. All of the creatures are dressed like they're from the 50s and 60s, which could mean that something happened during that time. 
and turned a bunch of the people in the town into that because they, they sort of match up with what's in the town. I mean, you've got a guy in what looks like a gas station attendant's outfit. You've got a lighthouse attendee. You've got a cheerleader and a woman that works at a diner. Like, they, they fit into the aesthetic of the town, and they fit into the jobs that would be at the town. But this person giving her name out, it would be very curious to, to see if it's actually, like they actually have names. Because we don't know if they start as humans or if they didn't. Now, she claims that they started as humans. Jasmine says she can't keep coming here not being able to touch him. She says it was not her choice to be this way, which obviously opens up a whole floodgates of possibilities of, you know, where they tested on, where they just like in this town, and then the government or some other force kind of did this to them. Or again, is this just more of the mental mind games that they've been playing? Because Jasmine is here to see if she can get somebody to open the window, and that person is Kevin. Again, they can probably just wait it out, and eventually they'll be able to get somebody, or somebody new will come to the town, and they'll be able to get them. Like, I know that they went 96 days without being able to kill anybody, but they've killed pretty regularly lately. Kevin said that there's a party going on downstairs, and everyone is having a good time, but Jasmine is the only one he wants to talk to. He makes her promise that nobody else will get in. And she says, I'll shut the window. And then Kevin starts pulling up nails. Whew. An older Colony House resident, Dale, is explaining to another woman about what a pocket universe is and that he thinks that they are trapped in one. Ellis asks the guy to stop, and Ellis slaps the drink out of the guy's hand. Fatima comes get him, and the guy says to take Ellis upstairs before he starts shooting up the place. Ellis attacks him again, and Donna breaks it up. Ellis says he is going upstairs to lie down. And the guy says that Ellis is an animal and says, like mother, like son. Donna punches Dale out and tells him to stay out of her sight. That's interesting. We know something happened to the mother, but we haven't really seen anyone antagonistic towards her. This is the first person that has actually said that there, whatever went down, that maybe the mother was to blame for it? I don't know. Kevin lets Jasmine into Colony House and closes the window behind her. Now, of course, even though he closed the window behind her, the fact that he let her in has completely broken the uh, talisman's effects. So, any of the creatures could just walk into the front door right now if they wanted to, but instead they're going to let this play out for a little bit, because it's much more fun this way. She says it's just the two of them. Jasmine calls him handsome and says that, and he says that her hands are warm. They kiss each other for a bit before Jasmine pulls up the back of his shirt. She proceeds to scratch his back and then bites his tongue out. Kevin hits the ground and Jasmine goes in for the kill. Just a, a vicious, vicious scene. And again, it shows that these things do have restraint. Like, as soon as that window was open, she could have just taken him out. Instead, she still played with him a little bit. 
Kenny calls Jade for dinner, and Jade says he's not hungry. He tells Kenny to fuck off, but Kenny's mom comes in to yell at him. And Kenny tells Jade, you probably should hurry at this point. Fatima comes to talk to Trudy. Trudy says she knows that Fatima doesn't like her, and Fatima tells her to take off her shirt. I thought was maybe we were getting a little kinky for a little bit, but no. She says Trudy does bother her, but they're in this together. So she gives Trudy the yellow sweater, which I'm sure will have no bearing on the plot at all in a little bit here. Trudy says she is going to go find something to give Fatima. She heads off, and Julie walks up. She asks Fatima about the girl that she was making out with. Fatima calls her Stacy, and she says that Ellis is her person, but Stacy's just somebody that she messes around with sometimes. And Julie asks if she could kiss Fatima. Fatima hesitates, and Julie runs off. Which again, considering that Julie is 16 or 17, makes total sense. And again, like, just because Fatima may, you know, mess around with some people doesn't mean that she's going to mess around with everybody. So, girls got to have some standards. Boyd has put his gun away. And Katri shows him the picture Sarah drew. Boyd says that he must have told somebody, and Katri says he never told anybody. Boyd says that Katri thinks his, this voice is trying to help them by killing an old man and a child. Boyd is conflicted about keeping Sarah alive and taking her with him on to the trip. Jim then finds Tabitha, um, and she has now dug a good six to seven feet deep. Jim takes over for her so she can rest, and he starts to massage her so- shoulder. He tells her to go hang out with Ethan for a while, and then Jim hugs her and kisses her neck. So, again, we're inching closer to them starting to work on their issues. Kevin is fully dead now in the corner, and Jasmine notices some blood on her nice, uh, beautiful 50s, 60s dress. She opens the window up to allow the others in, and we see creatures are starting to walk towards the colony house. Victor is up in his room looking through his pictures when somebody knocks on the door. It's Julie. She asks to come in, and Victor says, I'd rather you didn't. Julie says this is the only place in the house that she can be alone. Sort of. And Victor says she looks sad. Julie asks if he is going somewhere because he's all packed up, and Victor says it's kind of hard to explain. She asks about the graves he dug, but he doesn't want to talk about that either. Julie looks through the license plate he has, because he's got a stack of them, and, again, it's from all the cars that have been there. And she asks why it is special that two cars came at once. We're not going to get a lot from Victor, because every question that she asks him, he's like, I don't want to talk about it. doesn't matter. We're not talking about it. So we're not going to get a lot from him. But he's the one who has a lot of the answers. He doesn't have all of them, but he's got a good amount of them. Jade notices that two pages of the... the journal are stuck together. He pulls them apart and out falls a Polaroid picture. It is a man holding the journal in front of him. He is standing in front of a car that is in front of the diner. Tan walks over and she points and says, Victor. And we see that next to the man with the book is a child about 10 to 12 in the background, holding Victor's lunchbox. Of course, these are old-fashioned cars that we see around the diner, and the diner looks a little, in a little better shape 
And obviously the fact that Victor is younger tells you that this is probably around the 80s, maybe? Maybe 70s? I don't know how old Victor is supposed to be. We still don't know if this town was an actual town that got frozen in time, or if it's always been the place that you just can't walk into. But the fact that somebody took a picture of this man sadly doesn't answer that question. But Victor continues to know more than he's saying. And the fact that he was a young child, which we've saw, seen in the past, that lived in this town, survived in this town, and probably knows a little bit more about it, but he just still won't ever talk about it. I think we'll eventually get there. I think he eventually will talk about when he first came to town. Trudy is walking down the hall to give Fatima her pillow, which is the same pillow that uh, Julie slept on on their first night in, in Colony House. She tells her pillow that Fatima will take care of her now. Trudy then hears Jasmine laughing, and when she enters the room, a smiling man closes the door. We see another guy in the corner of the room, and he's a kind of tall, hulking guy that he's got either a mechanic suit or like a gas station attendant suit. Jasmine says, hello, Trudy, and she asks how they know her name. And Jasmine says they know all of their names. So, the Jasmine laughing. It sort of seems like she's learning how to be more human. And we have kind of seen that. Like, it seems like the more time they spend around people, the more they kind of get into it more. So, like, a lot of the outfits that we see them in could just be stuff that they've taken. And her doing, like, the fake laughing to try to sound like the people downstairs kind of leads a little bit more into the their creatures. They're, they were never human, but they're able to pretend to be human thing. So, again, nothing for sure. No idea. But the fact that they know their names is interesting. Because they shouldn't. But somehow they do. They call her Trudy, and we've seen them before where they, they reference people by name. And they've never interact with anybody, but I suppose if you're nearby them, you might be able to hear their conversations out in day, like if they're they're near enough to them, but it seems almost more like a um, psychic connection to them. Dale is on the steps complaining about Alice, and he gets a drop of blood dripped onto him. Dale looks up to see the smiling creature. And now the carnage begins. Alice wakes up to everybody running, and screaming, and the creatures have now started to invade. A black woman in a white dress and Jasmine walked on the stairs to cut Fatima off from getting to Ellis, and she notices that there are more at the front door, which of course, they can just walk right in now. Julie asks what is going on, and Victor says that it's starting. He grabs a rope and makes a ladder outside. He tells Julie to go first and gives her a pack of papers to carry. Julie climbs down while more people are screaming. Donna gets the people into the van, and Fatima tries to get back inside. She tells Donna to get the people into town, and she will get Julie and Alice. Victor sees the boy in white enter the forest, and he says that they have to go to the trees. Alice sneaks downstairs and sees a smiling creature slowly walking down the hall. He then finds Trudy dead, but since she's wearing the yellow sweater, he thinks it's Fatima. 
He turns her over to see it's Trudy, but of course, standing around, has allowed the smiling creature to enter the room. Ellis jumps out the window and then leaps down to the ground, hurting both of his knees and his wrist. Fatima closes the. Oh, sorry, Fatima grabs him as another two creatures around the corner. Fatima then closes the front door and the entry door, which makes it so that the talisman can work, because now they're stuck between the front doors and the foyer doors, and those are enough walls to keep them safe for the night. All the other creatures decide that they're going to go and deal with some of the other people outside. Ellis asks how she knew that would work, and she says she didn't. Ellis says he's sorry, and Fatima tells him she loves him, and he says it back. Ellis drags himself over to her so they can hold hands. So, we get again, where even with the spell being broken by the window being open, you can re-establish the protection by closing yourself in again. So, obviously, they wouldn't have been able to do that with the entire house because there's still creatures walking around inside of it. But, at least being able to... Like, they could they could have just jumped into a closet somewhere as long as they had the talisman with them. So, it's nice to just kind of get a little bit more of how these things actually work and what they have to do. Like, they, they have clearly set the rules of this. Victor pulls Julie to a faraway tree, and he tells her that she needs to tell Ethan that it's starting. Julie comes out of the faraway tree and out of the closet that had the dead guy under the boulder before, and she is in the root cellar that Victor had originally hidden in the night of the massacre. Don't know if Victor knew that tree led there, or if it was literally just hop in this one and hopefully it'll send you to a good place and it's not going to be like three feet behind us. Boyd and Katri agree to the plan, but Boyd says he will kill Sarah if she looks the wrong way. Donna pulls up in the van and she says that the creatures got in. So it's hard to tell who survived and who died. It appears that the only named characters that died were Kevin and Trudy whereas a lot of other just sort of extras died. Because the people that we have, like Dale and um, the lady in blue that Jade stole the bike from, like they're still around and they're fine. So Donna starts to get everybody inside. And one of the creatures can be heard yelling out, You okay over there? Which again is just more of their like fun psychological stuff because... That might have worked on people. Uh, everyone gets inside, but then we hear a woman call out, Father. Katri turns, and one of the creatures slashes his face and neck. This one's wearing what looks like a diner uniform, which again, like I said, is either that she once worked at that diner that's in town, or she stole it from somebody that worked at the diner that she killed. Boyd shoots a creature, but it doesn't really do anything, and they pull Katri inside. He begins to beg, please, and continues to say no, and he asks that it doesn't end like this. He asks Boyd to pray with him, and they start doing the Lord's Prayer as Katri dies in Boyd's arms. I thought that there was going to be more to this character, and there might be, and but 
killing him already after he had done that whole like god told me that there was another path and things like that it seems like he had a lot of unfinished business it seemed like he was he thought that he was destined to help out more than this and maybe his death is just kind of what spurs some people on and maybe that was the path that was chosen for him but yeah i almost felt like he was starting to get the most interesting right before he died and it it definitely left me wanting more and to learn more about his character um, but yeah it was just kind of a bummer that he was already toast but i'm sure he'll come back again because uh, he was there anytime they look in the past he'll be there and things like that but going forward now they don't have a preacher which is probably not good for some people in that town well i think that's going to do it for this episode thank you for listening and uh, i will catch you on the next one bye bye <laughs>